Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's 91 new pieces of legislation that Governor Eric Holcomb has signed into law. Yeah, yeah, that's way too many. That's way too many. Exactly how many laws are we creating in a year? This is nuts. Maybe you say to me, well, at least 91. You'd be correct. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything. TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. And amongst the pieces of legislation signed by Governor Hulk was legislation that would require schools to notify a parent if a student requests a name or pronoun change at school. It also would say that we don't teach sexual identity things uh, to K through third grade. We don't do that. We don't teach those things in K through three. If a child is starting to use pronouns, we let parents know. And there are people who are outraged by this, starting with, in Indianapolis, WTHR. Because their headline reads, Indiana governor signs bills targeting LGBTQ students. Targeting? Targeting? Republican Governor Eric Holcomb's approval of the legislation comes in a year when GOP-led legislatures around the country are seeking to curb LGBTQ plus rights. That is such a lie, and I am saying that WTHR has lied here. I I am stunned by this, because this is not journalism. This is identity politics. This is propaganda. Let us start with a basic. When you say LGBTQ plus rights, you don't actually know what you're saying. I'm saying this directly to the newsroom at WTHR, which I know is, is, is listening. When good reporting happens, I share it. Even the Indy Star, that hates my guts. When they do good reporting, I share it. Dear Lord, could anybody say anything but incredible things about their, their uh, conversation regarding Larry Nasser? Their reporting regarding this slimeball, this despicable son of a man. Good on them. But when they don't do real reporting, when they aren't focused on reporting, they're just in some ridiculous propaganda spree nonsense. And it's shameful when you know that they've got the skill set. What WTHR here is doing is first pushing a lie. Nobody was targeted. LGBTQ students. What, what in the world about pronouns has anything to do with being a lesbian person or a gay person or a bisexual person? Nothing. Absolutely, positively nothing, right? By definition, it would have nothing to do if you were L or G or B. As a matter of fact, why couldn't somebody who is straight decide to use whatever pronoun? First of all, who are you to complain? Who are you to argue? Who are you to say that they're not allowed? But this is just a great example. You take these letters, you put them together, and you decide it's some kind of shield because you're not talking about the people. You don't actually care about the individuals. 
The political left doesn't care about the individuals. It's a political movement to you, and it's a movement to utilize at your whim and at your discretion as if somehow they belong to you. They aren't people of their own minds. When you put together LGBTQ and decide that it's a political movement, it is so insulting to people who are gay and who are lesbian and are bisexual because they don't necessarily agree with the T, and they might not agree at all with the T for the children which is exactly what we're discussing here. So this isn't about LGBTQ plus students being targeted. This is about children being protected and parents having rights. So when you see this headline from WTHR targeting LGBTQ students, no, 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 no. That isn't true. What is true is that people like WTHR believe that parents' rights should be erased, and I don't understand why these leftists want to erase parents. Isn't that what we hear about uh, transgender students? You want to erase transgender students. You want to show that they don't even exist. No, what you want to do is erase parents. You want to erase parental rights. What could be more standard than, hey, uh, your son is now using she, they pronouns. That's a standard that a parent should be notified about. The argument that they shouldn't is an argument that somehow the parent is guilty. If you take a look at how these things are argued by people on the political left, what they argue is that the parent is guilty. They argue that the parent cannot be trusted. They're saying that the parent is the problem. They argue that if you if you allow parents to know what's happening, well, then my gosh, uh, the, 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 the parents might get upset with the child and things could get bad. If, 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 might, 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 might. All of that to say the parent shouldn't be told, the parent doesn't matter, the parent should be erased. And I don't know why the ACLU of Indiana or the Indiana Youth Group or any of these other organizations like WTHR believe parents should be erased. I think that's weird. The idea that you don't believe in parental notification is peculiar is strange it's weird and wthr seems to be totally fine with that because let's take a look at their follow-up this is just their headline republican governor eric holcomb's approval of the legislation comes in a year when gop-led legislatures around the country are seeking to curb lgbtq plus rights let's take a step two here a part two here parental notification um curbs anybody's rights and are we talking about the rights of children or are we talking about the rights of adults you see adults can do what they will children could never do what what they what they want all the time that's because they're kids they're minors they're not adults and there's a difference why do you think their rights are being taken away if they're children and the parent has a right to know what's going on with their child because no matter what children belong to parents Children belong to parents. Let's, let's do this again for the people in the chief seat, shall we? Children belong to parents. Why does WTHR in Indianapolis believe that children don't belong to parents? Oh, that's right. We already established they are okay with, like the ACLU of Indiana is, erasing parents. No one is curbing LGBTQ plus rights. 
rights belong to Americans. And when we saw throughout history that specific Americans were denied rights over time, those things got fixed. Like, for example, suffrage, the right of women to vote, got fixed. Like we saw with the 13th Amendment, like we saw with civil rights, we went about fixing things that were clearly wrong. What right does somebody who is gay or lesbian or bisexual not have that I have? What right? And the answer, of course, is zero. Now, if you're talking about things culturally, ooh, that's interesting. Societally, that's, that's, that's interesting too. That is not legally. And I make no claim about those societal or cultural things other than things take time. Right? I, I, I think that's true. You can't legislate morality or decency or love or any of those other kinds of things. And then that stinks sometimes. I get it. You think I could legislate that people not hate me because I'm Jewish? I can't legislate that. Some people are just going to hate me because I'm Jewish, and that's just the way that mother's going to go. I cannot legislate morality. Just so we're all perfectly clear. But I can certainly legislate that parents have a right to know what's going on with their kids in school because the kids belong to the parents. See, that was super easy. That was super duper easy. But but going back to this idea that rights are, are, are being curbed, let's talk about the T. What rights are being curbed? I've got Rachel Levine, who is a man who claims to be a, a, a woman uh, in the Biden I- I- administration. Dylan Mulvaney, uh, the Bud Light guy, is making millions of dollars. What rights were taken away from him? Oh, that I call him him? But it's because he is a him. And I'm not going to be forced to lie. But if you want to now compel me to speech, you are saying, they are saying, WTHR is saying, that they want to take away my right to free speech. So who is actually attacking whom? And by the way, can I get a little applause for the appropriate use of the word whom? Can we? Can we? Could we? Would we? <sighs> GOP-led legislatures are not seeking to curb LGBTQ plus rights. This is a lie. So I have the headline and then, what do you, what do you call it, the tagline? I've got both of these things from WTHR. And I just want to say for the record, this is not... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Journalism. This is not journalism. This is ugly. This is obscene. And the people who wrote this should be ashamed of themselves. Now, I, 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 the article is written by Arlie uh, Rogers. And I, sometimes the person who writes the article doesn't write the headline. It's really important to note. Sometimes people go after the author of the article. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, all I did was, just, you know, turn in my work. I'm not in charge of the clickbaity headline. And that's true, except the first paragraph of the article. Indiana's governor on Thursday signed a bill that will require schools to notify a parent if a student requests a name or pronoun change at school. One of the final bills approved in a legislative session that had targeted LGBTQ plus people in the state, especially students. So uh, clearly uh, the the uh, headline matches the article. The article matches the headline. And so, uh, again, um, 
wrong. That's not reporting. That's not journalism. That's propaganda. This is a blog post. This isn't journalism. And we should say so. We should say so again and again and again and again and over and over and over. We should say so. Oh, I'd love the debate with Arlie Rogers. I, I don't I don't know. I, I assume her. Arlie, A-R-L-E-I-G-H. I, I, I assume, but I could be wrong on that. If someone's name is Stacy, Stacy could be a man's name. So uh, again, I, I don't know. I would love the debate. Just to be able to expose the total lack of journalistic integrity here. And if you say to me, well, Tony, what about you? I never claim to be a journalist. I never claim it. I have a respect for journalists. They deserve the reverence, but only when they're engaged in journalism. And this from WTHR is not journalism, which of course brings us to how in the world did this get past the newsroom? Now, I know that I am, for many of my contemporaries, creating an issue because I'm being so direct towards uh, a, a fellow uh, media outlet in my, in my market, right? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, I am. That's the whole point. Because I expect better. Disagree with the legislation if you choose, that's fine. But you're reporting on it, and this is a lie what you said in the headline what you said in this little slug tagline thing and what you said in the first paragraph critics worry the law could out transgender children to their families and erode trust between students and teachers while supporters have contested the legislation keeps parents empowered and informed about their children when at school okay now you've given us where people are 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 at you've given us where people are at okay By the way, I love that the critics are worried about eroding trust between students and teachers, but don't actually care about the relationship between the child and the parent. That's that to me is the winner. But at least that's okay. You've given us the two sides of where this is at. But that's not how you started. And that's not how you headlined it. It's just ugly stuff. Don't erase parents. Stop erasing parents. Parents are in charge of their kids, not teachers and not school systems and not administrators and not people who claim to have expertise. Parents, they're the ones in charge because that's how you build a society, not by putting those selected by government in charge. Now, you can tell me that's opinion and you're right, except I'm pretty sure I can back it up. I'm Tony Katz. A major announcement from the World Health Organization just a few moments ago. They say that COVID-19 is no longer a global health emergency. This is three years into the pandemic. Well, hell, I could have told you that three months into the pandemic. I mean, I, I, I could have just told you that. He, super easy. <laughs> if you had just listened to me, I could have told you that. <laughs> Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on, everybody? It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. 
It is the end of this global health emergency, and and, and don't get me wrong, uh, the the World Health Organization ends it uh, today, but in the United States, we're not going to end it until May uh, 10th, and when the question was asked, why? Why are we waiting? Why are you waiting? Why, why not do it now? Uh, the answer, of course, was the southern border. The answer was, well, we have Title 42 at the southern border, and we are now going to end it. So what are we going to do regarding protecting the border? Because Title 42 said, hey, public health emergency, we're allowed to turn you right around. Goodbye. Enter Senator Cinema of Arizona, Democrat, and Tom Tillis, Senator from North Carolina, Republican, with a stopgap measure, a temporary two-year extension to expel migrants from the United States. Basically, what they have said is, hey, we need Title 42 So what we'll do is we'll create this measure that allows us to continue all of the things that Title 42 did, but without that whole public health thingamabobber. And people are taking a look at it. Now, do I oppose such a thing? No, I don't. And the fact that it is bipartisan in terms of who's pushing forth the legislation is helpful to the idea of getting it passed. But it's very clear that the Democratic Party isn't interested in protecting the border like you and I are. As a party, they refuse to recognize the problems at the border. They refuse to recognize the criminal element coming across the border. They refuse to recognize that they're not funding Border Patrol as they need to. They refuse to recognize a whole great bunch of things. They refuse. So how do you get them on board? I mean, how are you going to get Maisie Hirono of Hawaii on board? How are you going to get Dick Durbin on board? How are you going to get these people on board with you? And the answer is, I don't think you can. Let's ask the question this way. Do we think that Mark Kelly, the senator from Arizona, is on board? Yes or no? Yes or no? Why don't we all go down to the Yuma sector together, take a look at what's happening, and then turn to Mark Kelly and say, hey, if you're not so busy being in space, we would like to ask you a question about what's happening on the ground. He was an astronaut. That's why I say it that way. Um, this legislation, the stopgap, would still allow for asylum. It would allow uh, for people who have serious medical needs to be allowed into uh, the, the, the country. Um, I can say with, with total clarity that the asylum system is being wholly abused by people coming into the country because people are taught to lie. These migrants are taught to lie, and these are economic migrants. They're moving for a job. It's not all about, oh, my gosh, my life is in danger, although for some it, it, it probably is. They're all taught to lie because when you lie and say asylum, you get three to five years before your case is heard. It's going to be a long time. Big backlog. Huge backlog because everybody knows this isn't how the system is supposed to work, so therefore the system has been overloaded. Very cloward pivot. Do I favor the stopgap? To the extent that I favor allowing Border Patrol more tools, the answer is yes. But in the main, no. Start giving Border Patrol real tools. 
Start giving them the tools to monitor the border. Give them the amount of personnel they actually need to do the job right and have an end or put an end to the humanitarian work they have to do so they can actually do the work of catching people, apprehending them, processing them, and then getting them out of the country. This stopgap isn't even the right stopgap. And I'm not so sure the Democrats will vote for it. I do not know if this can get 60 votes uh, in, in the Senate. I really don't. And I'm watching. Speaking of Congress, oh, they're never, they never stop trying to tell us how to better our lives, do they? I've got that story coming up. This is Tony Katz today. We see a lot of people in a, in a lot of places somehow think that they know best. They know better than the rest of us how our lives uh, should be led. They know better than the rest of us how we should act and how we should react. They know whether or not we should have gas stoves or have a, a car that has a combustion engine. They always seem to know what's best for us. And it's amazing to watch places like California continually invest in this argument, this anti-American, anti-pursuit of happiness, anti-freedom argument. And how successful they were with AB5, so successful, in fact, that they now want to bring it to the rest of the country with the PRO Act. Yeah, it's making its way back. Thank goodness Republicans have control of the House. But now you know why it's so important. Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz, Tony Katz. Today, find everything at TonyKatz.com. Casey Maddox joins us right now. He is actually the vice president for legal and judicial strategy at Americans for Prosperity. And that's not why I, I brought you on the show. That's, uh, my, my deal with AFP is, is quite clear on the sponsorship. But you had the right article, man. It's something we've been discussing for a while. Gavin Newsom shouldn't get to decide which businesses survive, and neither should Congress. It's an article. You have a piece you have up at americansforprosperity.org. Get everybody caught up, Casey. Talk to me about what AB5 was in California and what its real-world effects were. Absolutely. And and thanks for having me on, Tony. So, uh, AB5 uh, and now the PRO Act that, uh, that some folks are, are trying to push in Congress is basically a law that says that, um, that would eliminate what's called the gig economy, right? Which is basically uh, where people are able to, um, you know, be Uber drivers and Uber Eats and, and all these sorts of things that people are, uh, are able to do um, without having to go work for a traditional employer uh, and have a, a traditional employment relationship. People have figured out that there's a lot of ways that we can do uh, that we can do work, and so, and that's you know really freed a whole lot of people to be able to um, to make ends meet and be able to um, you know to do the things to be able to have the the kind of uh, work life that they want to be able to have. California didn't like that. California wants to force everybody into one system for how we're going to uh, to uh, to work, and that system is basically you no. Know, you got to work for somebody. Uh, you need to work for an employer, and that employer needs to. Uh, to have a, a system for uh, for how we're we're going to do work, and so so they passed AB five to basically do that, sort of force everyone into that uh, kind of traditional employment relationship, um, and and then uh, of course they realized that uh, well there are problems with that, uh, there are reasons why, and particularly there are problems because there are powerful constituencies that could lobby for an exemption, so you have AB five that sort of sets this 
you know, we're going to have one way that everybody has to work rule, um, but then they have like a hundred different exemptions. And those exemptions are basically, um, if you are a powerful enough uh, lobby to say, whoa, 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 timeout doesn't work for, uh, for our people, then you get exempted. Um, and if you weren't a powerful enough lobby, then you're not exempted. And so that's the that's sort of the well, uh, the situation in California now. And it basically could become the situation nationally. Well, so we see that w- w- with the banks. If you're connected to the to the right people, yeah. you get a bailout. But if we don't think you create systemic risk, well, then you're you know what right. out of luck. And that's why people are pulling deposits from smaller regional banks in into larger banks. But take a step back with me here. This is about unions, AB5. What was done was put forth as the idea that if you wanted to, let's say, write for, let's say, Tony Katz, who wants to write for TonyKatz.com, uh, I couldn't actually hire you in California to do freelance work right. because I'm not offering you full-time work plus benefits and you're not a part of a union. In the end, it wasn't about all the other things. It was about you as a citizen stroking a check for union dues. True or false? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically true. Look, I mean, this this is a... California is trying to create a situation where you filter everyone into a situation that that um, or into a work situation that sort of pushes you into a union and and empowers those unions. Um, and you know, uh, so then they start creating these exceptions to those rules. Um, and you know, you have the exceptions sort of uh, make it so that the the law doesn't even make sense on its own terms. Um, and and that's kind of what we're left with. And you know, fundamentally. You have, uh, I mean, there are a whole lot of problems with this, right? But fundamentally, you end up with free speech problems, like uh, the the situation I was writing about here, where um, if you're going door to door and you're trying to sell things door to door in California, well, then you're exempted from AB5. You can totally do that. You can go be an Amway salesman. You can do whatever uh, door to door in in California. You don't have to go, um, you know, be in a traditional employment relationship to do that. But if you want to knock doors and actually advocate for a political candidate, well, that's no longer marketing. Uh, that's a different thing. And you're not exempted. If you want to go knock doors uh, for, for political candidates, um, then you need to work for the man. Uh, you need to, to, to have a, um, a sort of unionizable job um, in California. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's exactly the same thing. You're just you're advocating for something else. Are you advocating to sell something? Well, then you're fine. If you're advocating... Uh, for political speech, then uh, that's a different thing. And that's a fundamental First Amendment problem where the government is is saying, well, the, the rules depend upon what you're saying. That's a fundamental First Amendment problem that California has. Talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President for Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity. Uh, one of the things that you, you write about is when this came into effect in, in, in 2019, or it was passed into law in 2019. It came into effect, Casey, in 2020. How did it affect the California economy between when it went into effect and now? Yeah, I mean, well, California has not been doing great, right? Um, you know, I think there's a uh, there's it's uh, well established the, the problems that California has had. And, and I think that is, uh, you know, it, at least partly attributable um, to this problem. When you make it difficult for people to be able to work and to be able to, to earn a living, um, you know, the 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 impacts are are obvious. And that's I think that's, uh, you know, California has gotten part of what it uh, what it asked for out of this. You make it hard for people to work. It turns out that that's difficult for your economy. Um now let's 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 move it forward a little bit, Casey, uh, because 
Uh, you talk about in the article that among the losers are free speech, and certainly it, you, you talk about it from the political side, but how about the idea that I want to be a part-time bartender uh, for weddings, right? It's a great place to pick up chicks. I'm totally in. I'm done. I'm good. I want this in my life. AB5 said no. You don't get the opportunity to do that. You don't have the opportunity to earn some extra scratch. Isn't that also a free speech violation? Yeah, I mean, there's, there are free speech problems all the way through this law, right? I, I mean, the, 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 the case here is mobilize the message. And, you know, it's, it's sort of obvious when you're dealing with, uh, with those situations. But, yeah, I mean, we filed a brief before um, in the, the prior version uh, of this case where, look, this is a, having implications across um, you know, writers and bloggers and, and certainly situations like that where, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, kind of the, the broader work world, um, when government is picking winners and losers, and particularly when it's picking and winners, winners and losers based on what you're saying, that's a fundamental First Amendment problem. Now we get into the part two of this case. You're talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy for Americans for Prosperity. As you discuss, there's something called the PRO Act, which is the idea of taking AB5 and bringing it to a national level. Who is pushing this forth? Is it Gavin Newsom reaching out to uh, U.S. senators saying, hey, this is awesome. You should totally do this. Was this other Democrat seeing this and saying, you know what? We absolutely are desperate to curtail the rights of people. And as a follow-up, do they get that they're curtailing rights or does pushing the union come before all things? Well, I mean, you know, uh, so you have members of Congress from California that are, uh, of course, strongly supportive of AB5 and trying to push to uh, to uh, to bring California's experience to the rest of the country. Um, but, it, you know, as you said, this is also a um, uh, an issue driven by uh, people who want to be able to secure um, uh, to sort of funnel people into traditional work relationships where they can then unionize uh, people and push them into those union relationships, right? So, um, and, and kind of fund the causes that they want to fund through those, uh, you know, through those unions. And so uh, certainly that's, you know, that's a, a big driver of this, uh, that sort of nationwide effort um, uh, to, to try to push people into one way of working so that you can connect them uh, to, uh, to unions, which can then collect funds and be able to use that for political causes that people want to to use them for. So as, as you see this playing through, this doesn't get through a Republican House. I, I think that, that's right. pretty obvious. But even with losing the House of Representatives, as Democrats did in the midterms, they don't seem to be... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, stymied, uh, Casey. They don't seem to be like, all right, maybe we won't push on this. They seem desperate to keep this going. Are there no Democrats out there at all who have said, you know what? This is a really, really terrible idea. This is a loser politically. We should be. We should not be in favor of this. We shouldn't even be bringing this up at all. Well, I, you know, I think this is. They need to hear from people around the country. I mean, we have a, uh, a place on our website you can go and get connected uh, to just communicate with members of your members of Congress and let them know that you're opposed uh, to these plans that would make it harder for people to work. Um, I, they need to hear that message. Uh, and, you know, don't take for granted 
that people are going to be, um, you know, understanding the problems of this. I think they need to, we need to make sure that they're hearing from people who would be uh, negatively impacted by this. And that's frankly, anybody. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's all of us, right? Because we all are benefiting from, uh, from a gig economy that allows people to, um, to you know, go and do um, small-time jobs and to be able to do Uber Eats and all these other things, right, that uh, are an important part of the, the life we're all living now, especially in a post-COVID world, right? Yeah. Uh, we've also gotten more used to um, that sort of effort. Um, and in the current economy, frankly, uh, you know, all of us need to, to, to figure out ways that we can, um, uh, you know, have sort of the side hustles, right? Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I would encourage people to, to reach out through our website, contact members of Congress and let them know uh, that you're opposed uh, to the PRO Act, because I, I think there is going to be a, uh, I mean, there's certainly going to be people who are continuing to push this narrative uh, and sort of Californianize the rest of the country. Let's talk for a moment uh, about unions. Uh, talking to Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at AmericansForProsperity.org. Let, let's talk this union talk just for a moment to get maybe a better understanding of the strength because it, it seems pretty obvious uh, that unions have an incredible stronghold on the political left and and get, you got to get the unions on board I and mean, if there isn't a union endorsement that's the big story as if the union endorsement is de facto always always going to happen and we see the the, the size of of teachers unions in Chicago we talk about union strength in California as you are Casey uh, the the question is, is it possible to break the unions? Clearly, this talk in California is about growing unions. But the questions that we discuss, especially when we talk about things in education, is how do we break the unions? Even the conversation about police unions, if they're going to be protecting bad cops, there's conversations about we need to put an end to this union so we can maybe get to the meat of the matter. In your experience, exactly how strong are these unions and how beholden is the Democratic Party or any political party yeah. to them? Yeah, you know, I, I think the uh, it, it depends upon uh, depends upon the area. Right. And I think people have become very uh, attuned recently to the, the problem of public sector unions, especially. And you, you talk about teachers unions and, and things like that. I think that's a, um, a, a an enormous problem because it's, um, you know, in, in uh, sort of directly, um, you know, unionizing the people who are the public servants, uh, and that raises a, a whole, whole separate set of problems. Um, but you know, look, fundamentally, it's a question of compulsion. Um, if you, when you're compelled to join unions and you're compelled to give for political causes, um, that is, uh, you know, you're you're forcing people. Uh, it's not a voluntary association. People want to present this as a voluntary association. If I'm forced to actually join a thing in order to work mm -hmm. and I'm forced to, to pay for those people's political expression um, in order to work, there's no voluntary association in that. And, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the answer to the question is, look, it's, it's one thing if what we're talking about is, uh, you know, uh, people voluntary, voluntarily associating. Um, that's what the First Amendment protects. It's an entirely different thing when we're talking about, um, being compelled um, yeah. to do something. And that's fundamentally what AB5 and what the PRO Act are attempting to do is another way of trying to force people um, into uh, not just one way of working, but 
uh, force people into a situation where you are compelled to join a union and compelled to be able to contribute to political causes in order to be able to work. Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. Full disclosure, I do work with AFP. I, I never, ever, ever lie about those things. I will always let you know when I'm connected. But this story has just been, it's been growing and it's growing under the radar. And, and there's an extent to which I have fear that, you know, it's the Republican Party. I've seen them cave on weirder stuff. So I wanted to make sure I brought it to you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. There is so much happening in my beloved Indianapolis and in Indiana over the next month because it's it, it's race month, right? It's the it's the it's the month of May, and that means the Indianapolis 500. Which, if you've never done, oh dear goodness, what a good time! Tony Katz, Tony Katz, today it's good to be with you. And then next weekend is the GMR Grand Prix at the Speedway, and there's a huge event uh, this weekend called Rev uh, at the track, which is a food event and a fundraiser. And there's just millions of things going on. Indiana Comic Con. Uh, is going on in Indianapolis. It's just, it's super cool. Crazy, crazy cool month of activities. And and one of the things I do for the race, for the Indy 500, is through my uh, cigar and bourbon show, Eat, Drink, Smoke, eatdrinksmokeshow.com, I put together the official list of cigars for the race, the cigars for the 500. I plan on having that out uh, maybe by next weekend. That's the, you know, I'm saying maybe, by next weekend. Where what cigars to smoke for the race and where to get them. Now, I, I do pick uh, retail shops here in the state of Indiana because I try to be helpful. But you'll be able to get them at, at your local tobacconist or maybe you'll be able to get them online. Try and shop local. I like it. So that list, the official cigars of the Indianapolis 500, that list will be out sooner than you think. Brought to you by Eat, Drink, Smoke, eatdrinksmokeshow.com. Be looking for the list. It's a good one. This is Tony Katz today.